What a powerful image that is of a shepherd sitting or standing uh, in this small opening of a rock fence and uh, standing there really to protect and really to uh, take care of his sheep and make sure they have the protection they need to, to allow them to continue to have life and uh, to continue to, to do what they need to do. And this is the image that Jesus was portraying of himself uh, in John chapter 10. And uh, so that's where we're going to be this morning is John chapter 10. Looking through those first 10 verses, and for you guys that have been with us the past couple weeks, we've been uh, walking through these statements of Jesus. He makes seven different statements in the book of John, uh, starting with I am, and then he gives some kind of picture um, or some kind of visual of something that gives his characteristics, something that tells us about who he is, what his identity is, and what his mission is. And so in John chapter 10, there's actually two different I am statements. We're only going to look at one of them today, um, and that is him being the door. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and look with me uh, in John chapter 10, and we'll read through those first 10 verses together. And so the first verse, Jesus is speaking. He says, I assure you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and the doorkeeper opens it for him. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all them or all of his own outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of the stranger. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. In verse 7. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. Let's pray together. God, you are great and mighty and powerful. And God, all we have is a hallelujah to bring you. God, as we sang those words, we're reminded of how magnificent you are. God, as I've worked through this text again in my mind, I'm reminded of how insufficient my attempts to get to you have been. And so, God, we thank you and we praise you for your son who was the gate and is the gate. God, who makes a way for us when we could not do it ourselves. And so, God, I pray in the stillness of this moment, God, that you meet us where you are. God, that you'll meet us where we are. And God, for some of us, we feel so far away from you that we don't know if there's a way back. And God, for some of us, we're wondering if you're even really there. And God, for some of us, we've known you for a long time. And yet we've taken for granted this amazing access that you've given us. And we've taken for granted how great you are. And so, God, wherever we're at this morning, I pray that you meet us. And I pray that you speak to us through your Spirit. 
to our hearts through your word this morning. So, God, that we will sit at your feet and, God, we will be transformed by the words that you speak to us this morning, Father. And so, God, I pray simply that you speak. God, I pray that you move us and all the distractions out of your way so that we can be hearing your spirit this morning, Father. God, let us leave here different than we walked in, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had kind of an emotional roller coaster day where uh, something great happens, you're on this super high, and then maybe something different happens, and, and the kind of the bottom falls out, you, you kind of drop really quick, and uh, I don't know if you've ever had one of those days, but leading up to John chapter 10 is a story about a man who has this very emotional roller coaster day. He, he's, uh, he, he's kind of building in to this great day, and then all of a sudden something happens. And I'm sharing this with you, kind of give you some background, because we've, we've been working through these I Am statements. This is the third one we were talking about. And uh, each one of them is pointing us back to this story in Exodus uh, that some of you may be familiar, familiar with, uh, when God kind of reveals himself and he uses the title of I Am as his name. And so when Jesus uses this title, when he claims these, when he makes each one of these statements, he's really kind of claiming that he is God. He's claiming that he is divine. And then he uses these pictures to give us an illustration. Let me show you my character in a way that makes sense to you. Let me show you a way that you can understand what I am and, and what I've come to do. And so I share that with you because this statement is the same. And this statement follows kind of a controversy, that there's something big that's happened, and then Jesus makes this statement to kind of help people understand what's going on. And so let me kind of back you up in the story of what we just read a little bit to this man who, who was having a, kind of an emotional roller coaster day. Right? If we look back in chapter 9... Uh, the end of chapter 9, there's a man who was born blind. All right? And in those days, it wasn't like today that there wasn't all the, the braille and there wasn't all these uh, different abilities uh, to, or options for folks that were, uh, were born blind. Uh, and so they really kind of were outcasts. They were kind of seen as cursed. And so they were, they were desperately wanting some way to be healed. Except most of them, in fact, none of them could be healed because this was the way they were born. And so they were desperate for a miracle. They made their living basically by begging for people. And, and so then we find in chapter 9 this guy who is desperate for this miracle. And, and he can't do anything about it. He can't fix himself. He can't do anything. And he was born blind. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. And then all of a sudden he spits on the ground as he's talking about this guy who's blind. And he spits on the ground. He makes some mud. And he takes that mud and rubs it on the guy's eyes. And when he does that, and by the way, this is probably like the worst miracle of all if you're a germaphobe, right? So this wouldn't have happened in 2020 because we weren't allowed to be this close to each other. And you definitely didn't spit in the ground and touch people with it, right? So, but Jesus does this. He spits in the ground. He makes some money. He rubs it on this guy's eye. And then he tells him to go wash in this special pool, right? And when he does, the guy's eyes are opened, right? So I want you to understand, here's this guy who is, is, is his whole life, he's not been able to see. And, and then all of a sudden, his eyes are open and he can see. This is like the greatest day of his life. And he's so ecstatic about this miracle that Jesus has done. And so everybody should be excited. I want you to think about this. Like if you knew somebody who was born blind and all of a sudden they came up to you like, I can see. Like this is the greatest day of his life. And I imagine he's on this high and like everything's going his way. 
But then there's always these naysayers. There's always people who are upset about what Jesus is doing. You see, Jesus did this miracle, and he also did this miracle on their Sabbath day, which is their day of rest, and they're not supposed to do any work. And, and so this was considered work. And so what they do is instead of being happy for this man, they really get mad at him. So Jesus heals him, and then Jesus uh, kind of steps out of the picture for a little bit, and they, this man is so excited, he's telling the story, and then people get mad at him because he was healed on what this religious day was. And so they begin questioning him, and they begin to try to figure out what in the world is going on and, and how he did this. And, and so they really kind of debate in front of this guy of who this Jesus is and, and, uh, and kind of what's going on with him. And so then the, when they're questioning and debating, they ask the man, like, tell us really what happened. Tell, you, tell us if you think who this man is. And so then in chapter 9, verse 32, the man makes this very um, impressive statement about this Jesus. He says in verse 32, he says, Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. So he tells him, listen, you've had this whole history, and I was one of these people that was born blind, and nobody's ever had their eyes open that was born blind. No one's ever gained sight who didn't have it before. And then he goes on in verse 33, he says, if this man were not from God, then he wouldn't have been able to do anything. Think about that statement for just a moment. I, I don't know this man. I don't know where this man came from. He can honestly say, I've never seen this man before because he honestly had never seen any man before. But he can honestly say, I don't know. I don't know where this man came from. I just know this is what he did. And so whether you guys believe him or not, all I know is that something special about him. If he's not from God, then he wouldn't have been able to do this. And so I want you to see their reaction um, in verse 34 of chapter 9. All right? And so verse 34, uh, they respond by telling him, You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you teaching us? And then they threw him out. How's that for a roller coaster of a day? Like, here's your great day, and like, you've, you've never seen anybody. All of a sudden, you can see, and you're so excited, and you're thinking, this is it. Like, I'm finally going to get to be part of a normal society. I'm finally going to be accepted, but I'm not going to have to beg on the street. I can, I can have a real job, and, and people won't see me as cursed or an outcast, and they won't accuse me of, or my family of being all these terrible things, and life is going to be so much better from this day on, only to have people so mad about how this happened and who did this, that they end up throwing you out of town. So this guy goes from being extremely excited, this ecstatic moment, this high point, and this, this excitement, to all of a sudden being the low again. He's thrown out of town. And so now his, his goal of being in town and being accepted, and now he's thrown back out of town. And, and he didn't make any of this happen. It wasn't his choice for any of this to happen. And, and so he goes from the best day of his life and it quickly turns to just kind of back to how things were before. And then Jesus kind of finds him and he enters the picture again. And some of the Pharisees are questioning him uh, and questioning Jesus about how he did this. And, and so uh, that's where we find the kind of interlude back into chapter 10. And so I give you that background because that background is going to become important in understanding what Jesus says in chapter 10. All right, So remember that story, that there was this man born blind, and they accused him of, you were born in sin, how can you teach us anything? All right? So they're claiming that they are not sinful because they know the truth. 
Right? And then Jesus gives this illustration in chapter 10. He uses this word picture here that's kind of strange for us. But for the Jews in the first century, they would have picked up on this very clearly. You see, they lived um, in very much like the regions you saw in that video. Right? Very agriculture, very, um, uh, lots of shepherds, lots of sheep. Sheep and shepherds have a huge history throughout uh, the nation of Israel. In fact, if you think of it, and if you think of the Old Testament, think of some of the Hebrews or some of the heroes of the Old Testament. Right, Moses. Right, the first kind of lawgiver of the Old Testament. What was he doing when God called him? He was out shepherding. He was out watching his flock. Right? Think of David, the guy who killed Goliath and the guy who became what they would consider the greatest king of all time in Israel. What was he doing before he was killing Goliath and becoming the super king? He was a shepherd. Right? So they have this picture of shepherds, even though they don't see them as great in society, they're kind of real low in society, there's this huge history of God using them in an amazing way. And so the life of the shepherd, it wasn't easy. And, and what they would do is exactly what you picture. They would take their sheep out into the fields during the day, and they just sit there and let their field, their sheep eat. Right? And that sounds like a great job. Right? All you got to do is take all these animals out in the field and just let them eat. Occasionally, you got to take them down to the water, make sure they get water. And then at nighttime, you got to bring them back in. Right? Now, it sounds easy, except you got to understand that other animals like sheep. They like to eat your sheep instead of uh, using your sheep. And there's other people who would like to steal your sheep. So even though it sounds so easy that you just got to watch your sheep, it may not be as easy as we think it is. Every job sounds easy until you're the one doing that job, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes a whole different process. So you take your sheep out in the middle of the field at day and you let them, you let them eat and, and, and drink. And then at nighttime, it becomes a lot harder to protect your sheep at nighttime. And so what you would do is you would take them into those sheep folds. And, and those sheep folds are just like you saw in those videos, these rock walls that were almost completely circled. Um, sometimes they were square, but most of the time they were kind of circle. Um, and they had one opening between uh, that would allow access in there, right? And so this is the picture that Jesus is giving. Like I said, we don't see this. This is not something that's common for us. But every Jew would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about in that first century. Because to get anywhere, they probably passed these sheepfolds as they were going. And so this is that narrow little opening between that rock circle or that rock wall. That narrow little opening. This is what Jesus is referring to in verse 7 where he says, I am the gate or I am the door of the sheep, right? And you can translate that word either way we kind of use door uh, they kind of use uh, gate just because it was kind of their common language and so uh, we kind of kind of have to figure out what is it that's significant about this door you know why is it that Jesus is claiming this door why is it that this what is he trying to teach us about who he is and what his mission is all right and so we got to think about what doors are and why doors are important when the first thing that doors do is doors provide protection for us Right? And if you've ever thought about this, and, and maybe you've never thought about doors really providing protection for you, because, but we all have doors on our house. And if you think about it, fundamentally, why do you have a door on your house? And most of the reasons that people say they have a door in their house is because they want to be able to get in and out of their house. But the truth is, you don't need a door to get in and out of your house. What you need is a hole. That's what you need to get in and out of your house. You really just need a frame, and you just need an empty space to get in and out of your house. That's all you need. If access to your house was all you need, you don't need a door. And you definitely don't need a door with a lock on it. Okay, So there's protection that that door provides 
from things from the outside. And if you're convinced yourself that really you're just like, hey, I really don't necessarily need a door for protection, I want you to try an experiment for me tonight, and you can let me know how this goes. Tonight, if you think their door is only for access, then tonight when you get ready to go to bed, I want you to go to your front door and not only unlock it, I want you to leave it wide open. And go to your back door and leave it wide open. And go to your garage door and every door in your house and just leave them wide open. And then go lay down in your bed tonight. And I'm wondering how great you would sleep knowing that every door in your house is open. Now it's going to be a little chilly tonight, so throw an extra blanket on the bed if you're going to try this tonight. But my guess is that most of us would not get that great of a night's sleep. All right. Most of us would sit there and all of a sudden we'd start hearing sounds and we'd start wondering about, you know, is that, thing, is that, is that creature that I just heard, is that outside or inside? All right. I just heard that car. Is it coming through my front door or is it still on the outside? Like, we would start hearing sounds. And we would, probably most of us wouldn't get any sleep at all knowing that every door in our house was open, that anybody at any time could walk into our house, that any creature could walk into our house at any time. Most of us wouldn't get any sleep at all. You see, the truth is that our doors that we have to our house are not there just for access. The door themselves are really there to protect us from things on the outside. That's the reason we have them. We put those locks on them for a reason. And so most of us would not go to bed tonight with all of those doors wide open. You see, the truth is that those doors, they provide security for us. They provide protection for us. And they provide protection for all the stuff that we have inside. Because what we have inside, we want to protect. And so it's ourselves and our family and our children and the stuff that we've worked for. And we want to protect it because we don't want thieves or robbers just coming in uh, to our house. And the same was true in the first century. During the day, the shepherds would go out into their fields and they'd let those animals graze, like I said. And it wasn't a problem. They, they could watch them. They could kind of stand up on a rock. They could stand up on a high place. And they could watch them, right? They wasn't so concerned because they could see them. But when it became dark, it became much more of a concern to let's make sure they're all safe. Let's get them in a safe place. Because there's greater predators that roam around at night. It becomes much easier to try to steal a sheep in the middle of the night than it does in the middle of the day. Because in the day, you can see them, right? So the safety of the sheep is much more, it's much more problematic at night. And so what did the sheep do or the shepherd do? They take them into the sheepfold, and then they become the door of the sheepfold. So they literally stand there or sleep there or they sit down in that little bitty opening and they stand there and they sleep there to protect from the outside competition. To protect, not competition, they protect from things that are outside, right? And so I want you to think about this for just a moment because this is what Jesus is telling us in verse 1, that there are things outside that are dangerous to those sheep that are on the inside. In verse 1, he says, I assure you, that anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. Right? So he wants you to understand, listen, there are things outside that are trying to destroy you. There are things outside that are trying to steal the sheep that are on the inside. Right? And if you don't believe that, then leave your doors wide open tonight. Right? And the same is true with our property as what he's telling us about ourselves. That there are things outside that are dangerous for us. And he refers to them as thieves and robbers. In fact, he refers to them as thieves and robbers three different times. He does it in verse 1, and then verse 8, and then verse 10. He mentions them three different times. 
And so he is the protecting factor. Because I want you to think about this. Just picture this in your mind because this is how Michael Rake's mind works. And so you're going to have to work with me. I want you to picture somebody that wants to steal a sheep in the middle of the night. And those sheep are in the sheepfold. And the shepherd is guarding the door. He's protecting the door. So nothing is coming in to get the sheep. The only way to get the sheep is for you to climb over this rock wall. And then grab a sheep and try to hoist it back over the wall. Right Now I'm, I'm not a shepherd. And I don't really interact with sheep a lot, okay? But I've seen enough and I've heard them enough that if you go messing with a sheep in the middle of the night, he's going to start making some noise, right? So if you are a thief and you're trying to steal a sheep in the middle of the night, you climb over this rock wall and you, you get there and you start to grab the sheep and he starts making all these crazy noises and, and all of a sudden the shepherd and these other shepherds that are around, they hear you and they're going to see you in the sheepfold that you're not supposed to be in there. And they're going to see you trying to hoist this massive sheep up over your shoulder, up over this wall. And you're going to be kind of in this awkward position of holding the sheep up over this wall as you try to climb over the thing. All right? And what he's telling us is that he is there for our protection. Right? He's not going to leave it wide open. He's not going to leave that gate wide open so that just anybody and anything can come in and destroy us. Because there are thieves and there are robbers outside who are trying to get into the sheep. And the sheep he's referring to are us who are trying to find him or trying to, uh, to follow him. And so he refers to them in verse 1. Like I said again in verse 8. Skip down verse 8 to me. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to him. And then finally again, skip down to verse 10 with me. He mentions them one more time. And he says, A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. Right? Now, this is this amazing thing because what he's doing, he's really kind of setting up this contrast between the Pharisees and himself. Think back to what he said in verse 9. And think back to what the Pharisees were doing in chapter, or not verse 9, in chapter 9. I told you that story and I told you it was going to come back. Because I want you to think exactly what the Pharisees did to this man. This man who was born blind and Jesus touches his life and touches his eyes and all of a sudden he can see and it's the greatest day of his life. And then what do the Pharisees do? They throw him out of town. Literally, what do they do? They steal the joy of his life. They, they kill the excitement that he has. They kill his dreams of being normal and being part of a society. And they cast him out. They exile him. And practically, they destroy his faith. Because what he knows is, is that God has done something amazing in his life. And he doesn't know how it all worked. He doesn't know why it worked the way it did. He just knows that God did something. And here you have all these religious leaders that stand up to him face to face. And like, this wasn't God because God doesn't work this way. God only works the way that we understand Him to work. And so what Jesus is doing in verse 10 is He's really contrasting, and He's really kind of making this illustration. These thieves that come to kill, steal, and destroy, guess what the Pharisees have done to this man? They have stolen the joy of His day. They have killed the excitement that He had. They have killed His dreams, and they've destroyed His faith in God because that doesn't fit in the way they think that God can work, that God is working outside of the way that they've kind of restricted Him. And this world is full of people and things that will do the exact same things to us. It will steal our joy, the joy of our salvation. When God works in our life, when we come to those points of how great God is and we're so excited, I want you to understand this world is full of people and situations that work to do everything they can to steal that joy away from you. 
They will kill your hopes and your dreams of eternity. And they will kill this idea that there is something great out there. And they will do everything they can to destroy your faith. But telling us that, that God doesn't want you. That there's no way that God can forgive you. And so this is what the Pharisees were doing to this man. There's no way that you being born in sin, because that's why you're blind. It's their understanding of it. There's no way that God can forgive you. I don't know if you're sitting in here this morning and you've ever heard the thief whisper that in your ear. Some of you walked in here this morning, you walked through a door, and maybe for the very first time in your life, you're hearing that there's an opportunity. There is a God who loves you enough and cares for you enough that will forgive you and will take care of you and will protect you from all these thieves on the outside. And so when even us who are, are Christians, we've heard this for a long time, there are times that the voices on the outside get so loud and we've just got to come back to this simple passage and what Jesus says, that I am the door. And when you're in me, when you're in the place that I put you in, you are safe and I will protect you. And it doesn't matter how loud the voices on the outside are. It doesn't matter what those weapons that are formed against you are. They will not prosper because Jesus is the door and he stands there and his job is to protect and to take care of us. And so we know that he is stronger than anything that comes against us. And so there's protection when we are on this side of the door that Jesus claims to be. See, there's another reason that Jesus claims to be. Not only does He protect us from the outside and things coming in, but He also protects us on the inside from going out. He protects us from wandering outside from ourselves. You see, several years ago, we had a dog. Our dog's name was Brutus, right? And we didn't name him. He was already named Brutus when we got him. Um, and I, when we first, I'll just tell you quickly, when we first got this dog... He was not my favorite, okay? He was hyperactive. He would like, he loved to play with you even when you didn't want to play. And so he would like bite your feet when you were walking. And he was probably the most uh, severe attack dog to a lawnmower that I've ever seen in my life, right? So when you're pushing your lawnmower, Brutus is literally biting the wheel and trying to drag it away, all right? So if you ever passed my yard in those days, like you could kind of see how the lawnmower, like I didn't have these nice little stripes that people had in your yard. What I had was this zigzag pattern because I was fighting Brutus the whole time. But Brutus, besides all those flaws, he was a great dog. One of the great things about Brutus is that he, when we put him in the fence, he wouldn't leave that fence. Right? It didn't matter if, if you opened the gate or not. And so we could, we could literally open the gate and just leave it wide open, and he would just sit there. And he wouldn't come out of that gate. Now, if I was standing on the outside of the gate and I called him, then he would come outside to meet me. But if I didn't call him, if I just opened that gate and I just stood there, he'd just sit there. And like, have you ever seen a dog who just like cannot wait to pounce on you? That was Brutus, right? So his like little tail is wagging and he's like, his little paws are doing all, And he's just sitting there just waiting. Either you're coming in that gate or you're going to call me out. But he wouldn't come outside of the gate on his own, right? And he just, he was just that good that we could, we could open the gate and it wasn't a problem. And so one day... Um, I went into and I unintentionally kind of tested this theory of would he ever leave the gate or not. Because one day I went into the gate and we had chickens at the time. And so I went into the gate to feed him and to feed the chickens. And I got busy because we had eggs and some of you kind of understand. So I got my hands full and I had so many eggs at the time that I couldn't shut the gate behind me. And so my intention was I'm going to take these eggs inside and then I'm going to put them down. And I'll come back and then I'll close the gate. Well, for some of you who know me, my ADHD kicked in at that moment. And I know it's hard to believe that like... Somehow in that process, I got distracted, and I forgot to go back and close the gate. All right, And so it wasn't until a little while later that I was, I was doing something else, and I looked out, and I saw that gate was still open. 
And then I begin to wonder, poor Brutus, what has he been doing this whole time? Like, has he just been sitting by this gate just desperately waiting for someone to call him out? And I got to looking for him, and as good as a dog as he was, this was just too much for him. Because Brutus had left the building, right? He had left the gate. He wandered out of the gate. And so he didn't go far. He, we found him. He was curled up on the neighbor's front porch. And, uh, but it was far enough that, that he didn't know. I, I guess he didn't know how to get back because he, well, he wasn't really trying to get back. We had to go get him. But it was far enough that we were worried about him. It was far enough that we didn't know where he was at and we were concerned about him. Um, and it was far enough that I learned a lesson that even a good dog, if you leave him long enough, he's going to wander outside of that gate, Right? And, and for many of us, not that we're dogs, but even on good days, we're going to find ourselves prone to wonder beyond the boundaries that God has set for us. And so when Jesus claims to be the gate, he's claiming not only to protect us from the outside, or when he claims to be the door, he's not only protecting us from the things on the outside, what he's really doing, he's protecting us on the inside as well, right? And so when you look at kind of uh, the, the picture that he gives them, there's this sheepfold, and it wasn't unusual in those days for more than one shepherd to bring their sheep into the sheepfold, right? And so you had lots of pasture land, so this shepherd may be over here and this shepherd may be over here, but at nighttime they would bring their sheep in together, right? And then they would, their sheep were just intermingled together, and so what they, sometimes they would take turns being the gate and being the door, and they would sh- take shifts during the night. And so in the morning time, they would take their sheep out, right? But instead of getting in the sheepfold, what they would do is one shepherd would stand at the gate, and he would start to call his sheep. And his sheep would know his voice. And this is what Jesus is referring to in verse 4 and 5, which we'll go back and read in just a minute. And so uh, he, would, he would call his sheep, and his sheep would come to him, and the rest of the sheep would go away from him because he was a stranger. He was different. And so then he would lead his sheep out, and as soon as all of his sheep kind of got out of the sheepfold, another shepherd would quickly step into that gate. Right? And then they would wait for just a few minutes, and then they would call their sheep. And they could do this. They could rotate through this until all the sheep were finally with their right shepherd, until all of them were out. Right? And so they would have to kind of close this gate kind of quickly. They'd have to just kind of step in and be the new gate. And this is what Jesus is talking about in verse 4 when he says, The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. So he's talking about the shepherd who steps into the sheep gate and the sheepfold, and he calls his sheep, and his sheep come after him. But the rest of the sheep go the other way. Right? In verse 5, he says that they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize the voice of of the stranger, right? So when that first shepherd steps up, he calls his sheep follow, the rest of the sheep go the other way. And so the question becomes, well, why do you actually need a gate then if they're only going to respond to the voice of the one who calls them? And we have to think a little bit about the nature of sheep because sheep, if you know them, are herd animals. They're flock animals. They like to be in a pack and a herd together. So what happens is that first shepherd steps up there and he calls his sheep and his sheep start to go out. And even though the other sheep have ran to the back, suddenly they don't hear a voice telling them what to do. All of a sudden they turn around and they see all of these other sheep funneling out this little sheep gate. And they're like, oh, oh, that's what we're supposed to be doing right now. And they'll suddenly start following those other sheep, not the sheep, not the shepherd. They're just following the other sheep because there's something innate about them. They want to be in a crowd. They want to be in a pack together. And so when they see one of them start to move, they all start to move together. And so the reason you have to have that other shepherd step in there really quickly is because even though they won't follow the other shepherd, they will follow the other sheep 
outside of the gate. There's something in us that even though we are hearing the shepherd's voice, we're prone to wonder and we will follow another voice if we don't hear our shepherd's voice. There's a, there's a great pastor who looks at this passage and he says that deep inside of us there are two voices. There's the Savior's voice and the shepherd's voice, but there's also the stranger's voice. There's this misleading voice. And the shepherd's job is to lead us to pasture. It's to lead us to where we need to go. But there's this other voice that will lead us astray. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this problem, uh, but there's this, this innate part of us that will wander away from the fold because we either see other people doing it, we see other animals, sheep doing it, or because that voice becomes so loud, we just follow along with it. There's an old hymn that some of you may be familiar with, and it says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so in this hymn writer, he prays this. He says, take my heart, Lord. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it in the courts above. You see, there's something inside of us that makes us want to follow the voices. And it doesn't, that, that we sometimes have to distinguish between the shepherd's voice and the misleading voice, the stranger's voice. And sometimes we find ourselves following that misleading voice just because it was the voice that we heard. And some of us find ourselves um, following that misleading voice because our shepherd has distanced himself or we have distanced ourselves so far from him that when he called us, we didn't respond. We stayed in the back and all of a sudden we found ourselves kind of left behind and now we're going to jump on board with the next thing that comes by. And so some of us find ourselves wandering outside because of this misleading voice, but some of us find ourselves wandering outside because there's this crowd that's moving and we by nature want to move with that crowd. We don't want to be left behind. Right? And so the, the reason that we need this gate is to seal us inside, to protect us from the inside. And so we are sealed, and he keeps us from wondering, keeps us from leaving this God that we love. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He talks about uh, us who believe in Christ being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes this, he says, You heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promise of, of the Holy Spirit. You see, the door is what keeps us from following this misleading voice. The door is what allows the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that when we hear the voice of the shepherd, we know that's the direction to go. When we hear the voice of the stranger, we know not to go in that direction. And so there's this Holy Spirit that lives inside of us because of the salvation that God provides, because of the gate that we can distinguish between those two voices. And the voice, even though it can be very loud and very convincing to us, it's not the voice of God. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us and the door that helps us distinguish. This is the Savior's voice and this is the stranger's voice. And so for some of us, we know the protection from the outside. But for some of us, this is what we need to be praying for. We need to be praying for a discerning voice on the inside. When Jesus claims to be the door, God, I know I'm prone to wonder. I know there's this temptation that's in front of me. And I don't want to do it, but I keep going back to it over and over and over. And so God, seal me. Be this door that blocks my access to whatever it is that's keeping me away from you. And so seal me. Keep me from wondering and following this stranger's voice that I don't want to follow after all. Several years ago... The great, one of my great uh, legends that I love in music is a man named George Strait. And some of you are too young to even know who that is. Unfortunately, I'm sorry for your younger generation that will never know the greatness 
of Mr. George Strait. But in 2008, he wrote a, a country song, um, and he wrote it from a builder's perspective. And uh, this builder uh, has a man who comes to him, and he says, I want you to build this house for me. And the human being, the builder, says, okay, that's fine. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase the song for just a little bit. And he says, that's fine. So he rolls out this set of blueprints. And the builder's looking at the blueprints, and he looks at it, and he starts noticing something's odd about these blueprints. And he says, you've got a problem with your blueprints here. There's something wrong with this house. There's no doors anywhere in this house. And the guy said, well, yeah, that's, that's how I want it. And so he's heartbroken because apparently his, his female companion has left him, his wife maybe whatever has left him. And, and so he tells the builder, he says, if you'll build this house for me, then she can't leave me ever again. If you'll build this house for me, she can't wander away and she won't leave me anymore. And so then the builder, in all of his wisdom, says there are two things that I know for sure. It's that you can't make a woman feel something she doesn't and you cannot build a house with no doors. See, hopefully you've seen by now there's a great benefit and a safety for the sheep that once they're there, the shepherd protects them in the sheepfold because he is the door that protects from the inside and from the outside. But there's also this great reality uh, that there is a way in and a way out. So there is this access that the door gives us that we could not have on our own. And from the inside, we're safe and secure. We're safe and secure from all these things outside. We're safe and secure from all these things in the inside. But the reality is that that, uh, we have to kind of figure out that we have to have access to the inside. And so if you don't think about that, that if you think there's just this wall, but if we just built that circle all the way around, wouldn't that be the safest place? If we just built that wall and that circle, if we just completed it, wouldn't that be the safest place? And the answer is, well, yeah. Except how do you get in to the safe place? The truth is you have to have an access point. You have to have a door that's going to be open to allow you to get in there. And the same is true for a house as it is for what Jesus is talking about, that we need this great safety. We need to be back into relationship with God. We need to be back with the one who created us. But the only way to get there is to have this access point. You see, the reality is that we are on the outside. That we as sheep are on the outside of the sheepfold because God being on the inside is separate and distinct from us. He is holy and He is righteous and He's uncorrupt and He's pure and He's just and He's all the things that are the opposite of us. And so we in ourselves are unrighteous, we're corrupt, we're unfaithful, we're impure. And all the things that we are are the exact opposite of what God is. And so there is something that blocks us from the access, from gaining access to God. You see, where he is righteous, we are unrighteous. Where he is faithful, we are unfaithful. And we find ourselves not in the safety where God created us to be, not in the safe place, in his presence. We find ourselves on the outside. And what's blocking us is this huge, massive wall. And this wall that we've kind of built, and this wall that, that is kind of this separation, this massive wall that stands between us and where we find safety. And because safety in, for us is found in the presence of God. And there's something blocking us. And so for many of us, we need to understand what Jesus is saying in verse 9 when he makes this claim in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. See, this idea that if anyone comes in by me, he will be 
saved. There's safety and there's protection and there's salvation, but it only comes to us through Him. You see, there's access to this God that created us, but there's not access that we built. There's not access that we gained. There's not access that we created. There's access only through Him. And so when we see this distance that's between us, when we see this massive wall that's between us, we have to find some way to get back to it. And what Christ is telling us is, hey, there is an access point to get to the place of safety. There is a place to get back to where you find security. When all the discontentment of this life builds up, there's a place that you can find contentment. But I'm the way to get there. And so if you're looking for access to the Father, if you're looking for access to God, go back to the story of chapter 9. It doesn't come through all these laws. It doesn't come through following the right rituals. It doesn't come because you were doing things on the right day at the right time. It comes through Jesus. And so what Jesus is telling you very clearly and very plainly is if you want to get back to the Father, the way to do that is through me. And for us as Christians, we have this beautiful illustration that He be in the door. And this door being this thing that stands and allows access between us and God. And for us in here this morning, we don't need a sheepfold to see that because we have this cross that stands as a picture of this is what it looks like to gain access to the Father. This is the moment where our unrighteousness became righteous because of what Christ did. When our unfaithfulness became faithful because of the works of Christ. When all of our sins became washed away because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is access only through Him and His death and His resurrection because of what He did on the cross. A great pastor puts it this way. He says, when Jesus claims to be the gate for the sheep, He is claiming to be the passageway to the Father Because of what He did on the cross, He offers us an exit from sin so that we may enter into the holiness of God. Jesus, our gate, makes us holy in the Father's sight. And this dramatically changes everything for us. Josh was telling earlier, I don't wonder if it was before the songs or in between the songs, about how often we take for granted the access that we have to God. How we forgot how drastically that should change Everything for us. You see, some of us have gotten in the sheepfold and we've been in there so long that we forgot what it took to get us in there in the first place. And we sometimes need to look at this cross and be reminded that's the door that we have to go through. I want to leave you kind of with one last point of Jesus being the door. You see, when you build this sheepfold, you don't build it with multiple doors. You build it with one door in its place. There's only one access point. And so Jesus makes this clear that He is the door, meaning He's the only access point. You see, the Pharisees thought that they could get to God by, by being, and they could be saved by following all these rules, that, that they could connect with God if they lived a good life. They did all of these right things. And they avoided all the wrong things. And, and so that's one of the reasons they become so upset when Jesus heals this guy on a day that he's supposed to be resting because that's not gaining access to God. We're doing all the right stuff to gain access to God. But what Jesus is telling them is, listen, if you want access to God, it doesn't come through your rules. It doesn't come through your efforts. It comes through me. There's only one way to get to Him, and it's not you working through it. Think about it for a moment. You ever seen a sheep build his own sheepfold? No. You ever seen a sheep try to carry rocks and build his own protection? No. The only protection 
is because the shepherd and the gate allows the protection to be there. It is by His grace and His grace alone that we have access to this. And it is by His grace and His grace alone, in verse 9, that He is the door that we can enter into and we can be saved and we can come in and go out and find pasture. He is the way, the only way, the only way to salvation. And being good and following all the rules will never get you access to God. Doing all the work and all the things that you think will do it will not do it. There's only one access to God. And so Jesus is setting up this huge contrast between himself and all these other access points that people think that can get you to God. Remember what he called those other accesses in verse 1? He says, if anybody enters the sheep pen or the sheep fold, not by the door, they climb over in some other way. They're a thief and a robber. He's contrasting all of these works that people think they're doing to try to get in. They're really just robbing you of the access and the grace that is there for you. See, the biggest lie I think being told today by Satan is not that you have to work for salvation. I think the biggest lie Satan is telling our world today is that there's lots of ways to salvation. I think the biggest lie in our world today that that Satan is sharing is that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your beliefs. That all truth claims are equally valid and everything is equally true. We call this kind of the postmodern or the, the relative or the universalist idea See, but there's problems with that line of thinking. And Jesus makes it clear back in verse 9 when he says that, listen, there's only one way that you're going to gain salvation. He makes it clear in verse 9 that he is the door and the only door. And for that to be true, it's an exclusive claim that if he is the only way to gain access, the only way to gain salvation, that means every other claim has to be false. And so there's this idea there's only one access Point. You cannot have multiple access points. Think about it from a, from a sheep perspective. How great would it be to have all of these access points in your sheepfold? It'd be great, wouldn't it? Think about it. You're in the sheepfold and you're in this thing where all these predators on the outside are trying to seal, kill, and destroy you. And you're in this fence with all these holes in it. And the picture that Jesus gives is no. The only safety is because there's only one hole. And I am the one who lets you in and lets you out. I'm the one who stands in that hole and in that gap that blocks you from the safety and the security of all the things that are, that are you're wanting and all the things that are you don't want. There is this exclusive claim that Jesus makes. And so you cannot be equally true. If he claims to be the exclusive way, then everything else cannot be true. You cannot have one faith or one religion claiming to be exclusive and all the rest of them are true as well because they don't work that way. Right? If one claims to be exclusive, they cannot all be inclusive of each other. In fact, uh, Peter makes this clear in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He makes the same claim that Jesus makes of being the door. He says, There is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to people, and people must be saved by it. You see, He is the one and only door. Salvation is found nowhere else. Satisfaction and safety is found nowhere else except in the presence of God. He's the only one that can get us to where we need to be. He's the only one that allows us to be there. And we didn't get there because we worked for it. We didn't get there because we built the safety and protection ourselves. We get there simply because we followed through and we walked through the gate of Him. And so He is the one that gives us life when everyone else is trying to destroy us and bring us death. He is the one that can reconstruct and rebuild and when everyone else is trying to destroy. He is the one who gives joy when everyone else is trying to steal it from you. See, God alone has granted access to Himself through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And it doesn't matter what else you're trusting this morning. My prayer is simply this, that you will stop trusting and stop trying to work to build your own protection. You'll stop trying to gain access even over this wall and, and tunnel or any way that you're trying to get access to God. And you'll simply say there's one way to do it. And it's simply Christ Himself. And so my simple prayer is this morning that you don't listen to the voices on the outside that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But you'll simply see that one gate. You'll say, that's where I'll go for safety. And this morning will be the day that you walked through that gate and you'll find the safety and satisfaction that you've been longing to find. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.